Welcome to Herbal Explorations, a podcast hosted by Wilson Lau of New Herbs. Each week, we speak to leading experts about what's happening in the herbal industry. Welcome to season two of Herbal Explorations. Today, I have Sujan Shelton, my PR guru, who's with the Shelton Group, to uh, join me on today's show. And today, it's all of season two will be about sustainability. And through our work together and also off of sustainability group, we had a lot of conversations on sustainability. And uh, we'll have the pleasure of having Suzanne interview me today and give my thoughts on sustainability instead of being the interviewer. Welcome, Suzanne. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Now, thank you. You know, it's always enjoy our talks about sustainability and uh, how it's going to impact our lives going forward and uh, the industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's really appropriate for us to be having this conversation because, um, you know, we do talk about this a lot and, and we've um, worked together a lot on sort of sharing your thoughts on the long term thinking that you have in terms of has sustainability needing to be an important component of all the decisions that companies make, particularly companies dealing with botanicals. So I'm thrilled to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, are you ready for my first questions? I'm always ready. <laughs> yeah, it's true you are. Um, all right. So you gave a presentation recently at SIAL on the top issues impacting the future of the food supply chain and food, of course, including medicinal herbs. Um, your company, New Herbs, is an importer of organic and conventional botanicals and botanical extracts focused on the dietary supplement and functional food markets. So you think about this every day. What are the like the five macro themes impacting the future of the food supply chain? I think it starts off with environmental. Um, as you know, there's global warming and environmental impacts throughout um, the world, and we're seeing them more and more of them. And then on top of that, there's also social and demographic change, right? There's social you know, sustainability also has to include the social aspect of people of it. And also with environmental change is also demographic change. And this goes back to college where I was a geography major and really, you know, how are people going to be reacting to what's going on in the bigger world and how are they going to move based on opportunities and weather and climate and geographic. Um, and then I think disease and COVID is going to be COVID right now and disease in the future will also be a major trend because I think based on the environmental theme, right, is that now diseases and where people are living and how densely they're living and how freely we get to move around quickly around the world, a disease and Right now, COVID is a big topic. And then the governmental picture, how is the government reacting in their policies? How will that impact in the environment, the social aspect of things and disease control, public health? And lastly, and not, and also just as important as technology, how will technology help us identify or give us tools to battle um, some of these environmental impacts and whether it's through measurability and how effective the changes we're putting in place are will have or are having. So I think, you know, those are the five themes. It's like ESG, environmental, social, governance, and then also disease and technology. I think those are sort of the five themes that will impact the food supply chain. Um, But even more importantly, with botanicals, um, we have all the same issues, but we don't have the same resources. 
the government and people are going to figure out how to feed people first. So, you know, if it's corn, if it's wheat, it's rice, they're going to figure out how to feed people first. And that's where the resources will be allocated, not necessarily to botanicals. So we have to be really smart about how we invest and how do we make decisions on how to improve the state of botanicals because we just don't have the same resources nor the same attention will be paid to our sector, our little sector of food, I guess. That's both true and terrifying. Um, yeah. So let's dig in a little deeper with, on the environmental piece of it. Like what's one of the first things that comes to mind? I mean, there's so many aspects of envi environmental awareness that we could talk about, but what's like the big thing <clears throat> that you that you look at first and that you think everyone needs to be looking at first? Is there one? You know, environmental is so big, but I think the key is that, look, there's more and more major climate events happening in the world. And, and major climate events are defined as climate-related damage over a billion dollars. So, you know, even though we may lose power due to electrical grid issue due to heat, unseasonable heat or rain or weather, it, it may not be classified as a major climate event. So although those are real events that impact people, they're just not over a billion dollars. But as of October of this year, there's already 29 major climate events in the world and 13 of them directly impacted the U.S. And that's in 2021, there was 20 major climate events in the U.S. and the price tag was over 145 billion, not 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 million, but billion, right? Dollars, and and they impacted over 40 percent of Americans. So I think it's where the frequency of these of major climate events is what is sort of the proof that something's going on, and that the impact is wide and varying. Yikes. Um, okay. So, you know, and it's been interesting to watch through the decades, the resistance to dealing with climate change. And one of the main excuses always given is short, like short-term economic considerations. Like, oh, the economy's not good enough. We can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh no, we need the money from petroleum. We can't, you know. Um, so, so that short-term thinking, um, obviously causes an immense amount of human suffering, right? Mm -hmm. But in terms of what's going to motivate businesses to, to take a longer-term view and do climate change mitigation steps that need to take, what kind of cost, I mean, to motivate them, what kind of costs are there to businesses from climate change now? Well, I, I think one of the things is this, is that with climate changes, it impacts, there's external impacts and internal impacts, right? If we look from a business point of view, the external could be um, things that are like, you know, your even supply chain is not directly, you don't own the farms, but the farms got damaged. It's your customers um, being impacted, right? So if, if Suzanne's too hot, she's not going to go out and go shopping. <laughs> she's going to stay at her home and, and try to figure out how to do it, especially if there's no, if there isn't sufficient electricity to fuel the AC system. So we'll go, for example, in Pakistan. Pakistan had this year had two, two major things. One was extreme flooding, which caused over 1,500 deaths. 
impacting over 33 million people, right? It's almost just in one province, there's almost over 40,000 square miles of land that's still underwater. But at the same time, they had extreme heat. They had this huge heat dome that impacted Pakistan. And there were, I think, 20 or 30 days that were above 104 degrees. So people could barely operate, especially if they don't have um, air conditioning or climate uh, controls um, for your building, right? So they can't go out and farm, they can't go out and buy things, they can't go consume, they can't produce. So there's a lot of cost that is external and internal, right? And, mm. and the internal costs are like, hey, if you have facilities in Pakistan, well, you're not, those facilities are gonna be operated at sub levels, right? If you're supposed to be 100% efficiency, if your people are too hot and can't work, you might be at zero or 20, 30% efficiency. So there will be both external and internal costs that are um, impacts, not just the cost, but impacts. Well, that, that absolutely makes sense. And if, and it's, you know, if you think about just this year alone, the, the, the stories that we heard about like <clears throat> record heat waves in England, you know, England is supposed to be drizzling cold, right? Mm-hmm. But it was like, you know, they couldn't function. Their, their infrastructure is not built for that. Their houses aren't built for that. You know, and France had, a, I mean, wildfires in, was it Spain? I mean, you know, so we're seeing extreme weather that is impacting people's ability to work and, and buy groceries all over the world. So, um, yeah, so I guess the environmental takeaway with that is um, we need to all be factoring that into all of our decisions, right? Yeah, I think a lot more of these environmental costs that used to be externalized costs, basically they're borne by someone outside of you or your company, right? This The costs are there, but they just aren't borne by you or the company. Um, will become internalized um, because we're going to have we'll have to do something about climate change and have to put things in. And even if we don't want to do anything, want to deny it, um, you still will have to do something. Because, for example, if your locale is getting hotter, like then you'll have to install air conditioning or cooling devices if you don't have them already. If there's a lot of rain, all of a sudden you can a lot more rainier. You have to construct better drainage and way to shed the water. <laughs> if there's drought, you have to figure out how to treat water, you know, to have access to water. So I think a lot of this is going to be, there's going to be costs that are helping make positive change against these extreme climate events. And there will be also costs that are reactionary because we have, it's too late. Where we have to put these things in to sort of be able to live here, right? And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I live in Oakland, and uh, almost no one in Oakland has AC. <laughs> but now, as you build a new house, or as people are retrofitting their houses or condos or whatever it may be, people are looking at adding air conditioning because there are more and more days that are hot. <laughs> Yeah. And before yeah. it might have been one or two days and everyone just opens the windows or figure out, you know, be outside or go to the movies, whatever it may be. But now it's like there's more and more of these days and we have to sort of put in measures to deal with that reality. Well, and, you know, I mean, I, I remember you telling me that you'd put in um, solar panels in the new herbs mm-hmm. facility. Um, one of the reasons for that was because with all the wildfires and the extreme weather, you you know, it's it's entirely possible that the, the 
there will be blackouts. And yeah, there's definitely rolling blackouts, right? And I think, yeah. you know, it's lost work days. It's going to be cost of insurance. It's going to be other health risks. I think there's yeah. a lot of things that companies are going to have to address or answer, like, you know, how do you account for these changes, Suzanne? Like, you know, that's what you and I talk about often. It's like, how are we going to deal with this and what are we going to do, right? Um, right, right. You know, do we need more rainy day funds to sort of, for on the operation side of things, to sort of account for things that we might not have previously had to do, like, you know, install, whatever, right? Um, right, right. No, well, that makes sense for businesses to, to expand their rainy day fund you know, budget, <laughs> because we're going to have crazy stuff happening. And, um, you know, and that, and that has a social impact and that creates social pressure, which, you know, leads us into the next thing that you bullet pointed. Um, yeah. Before what, we jump to the next thing, I think the thing that you talk about social pressure is really important because as climate change happens, it will impact the quality and availability of botanicals and food throughout the world. And that leads to the question of food security or insecurity. And now that is huge. And that has impact on governments and society because the quickest way to dissatisfaction as a community or, or a society is not having enough calories. Yeah. Well, and we've already seen famines in different parts of, of the world in Bangladesh heading into another one, um, you know, and that, that will spread. And it's, and it's, you know, those of us in our, our cushy developed country lives, um, we're going to be impacted by that as well. I mean, we may not be at risk of starving, but we will feel that impact in other ways. Mm-hmm. So what should companies factor into their business plans to accommodate social the social aspect of this? What's the social takeaway? Well, I think for social, right, like, we have to invest in a way that is profitable long term and we have to have a longer term outlook than you know the financial markets which measure things by quarters or because some of these a lot of these themes are going to be longer term and if we don't have something that's sustainable um, over the long run we won't have a business so i think the real key is how do we remain profitable but invest in for future growth and sustainability, right? It's not trying to maximize profit today at the expense of, of cutting your nose. You know, it's basically, we want to, you know, companies should need to remain profitable, but I think we no longer should have a viewpoint that profit is the only thing that matters, right? Um, you know, you can invest and reduce your profitability in order to make sure that you have a long-term plan to address um, these macro themes, I think. Right. Well, that does make sense because to some extent, sustainability could be whether or not a business is going to be viable in the future and addressing some of these hazards that's been created by not addressing them before Mm -hmm. um, definitely impacts a business's ability to stay in business and to to have a market and to have ingredients and products and that sort of thing. Um, so one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is throughout the pandemic, the impact of COVID-19 on society and businesses and, you know, the way that all snowballed into the supply chain, you know, breakdown. And, um, so everybody likes to pretend it's over, 
having just had it again a month ago, I can tell you it isn't. Um, what do companies need to think about here? I mean, are, are you, do you think companies are pretending it's over? Is it still, is COVID still impacting businesses? What do they, what, what should companies be thinking about that they may not be? Uh, I don't think companies think COVID is over. I think there's definitely impacts of COVID um, throughout the world and even the U.S. I think there's a 28% spike in um, COVID cases after Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S. So it's, it's, it's happening and people are still getting it. Um, I think the severity of it may be less um, with the tools that we accumulated over time, um, over the last two years. But I think, you know, you're still talking about, hey, if you get COVID, don't come to work and make sure you don't have COVID anymore before you come to work. So there's lots of work days again. Productivity, especially in groups, right? If you have COVID, um, um, let's use us as an example, right? If you have COVID, that, you know, if, as long as you're sick and you're not feeling well, um, there's no PR going out, right? <laughs> so there, and, and things get delayed, and that's that's neither here or there, right? But these are real things that happen, right? It's just, yeah, um, it's a lot of productivity still is is lost to COVID, and I think COVID isn't going to be the last disease that we see within our lifetimes that are that's pandemic like or new. So I think, you know, we have to sort of figure out, are we giving people enough sick days? Um, are they going to be happy, you know, with the sick days they have? Is it sufficient? If you look at the current railroad issue and strike, it's all about sick days, right? How's one enough, right? Um, as One day, what, one day off a year? Yeah. I, so I think that's that, right? Um, and then it's not only the person being sick. Right. Um, like I have younger children than you do. Your children are grown and mine are young. Um, if they get sick, guess who? Someone's not either I am not going to work or the missus is not going to work or a combination of the two. Right. Like, yeah, but they can't stay home yet <laughs> by themselves. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think COVID is still here and it's still going to play, it's still going to be. The role that an impact will have is going to be far greater than it is not hasn't gone away yet. And if you look, and we pivot out of side of the U.S. and into China, China is stuck between a very hard a rock and a hard place with COVID. They have this zero COVID policy, which they're trying to move away from, um, which basically is that COVID case they've unlocked down a certain portion of the area. It used to be the city, then it went to the neighborhood, and from the neighborhood it went to the block or the, the little neighbor, you know, and then to the tower, right? They're trying to get small they're trying to make this confinement really it used to be like this and now it's like getting smaller and smaller, right? But even that isn't really working. Um so they're they're trying to move away from the zero COVID policy. Um but a lot of their elderly are not prop are fully vaccinated. Um they they think that they need three shots in order to be equivalent of the Moderna or Pfizer two shot routine, and a lot of them haven't had their third shot. Most of them had their second shot, but not their third shot. Um, there's estimates, internal estimates by the Chinese government and think tanks that say if zero if they took away zero COVID policy, they anticipate 1.6 million deaths from COVID in a short amount of time. Oh my God. Um, there's a one million there's over one million COVID deaths in the US over two, three years, right? Um, 
but that's over two, three years. There's right. been, you know, a shorter time, maybe in the span of months. Um, wow, that's terrifying. Yeah. And, Black death level <laughs> numbers. Wow. So I think there has to be investment in public health throughout the world to sort of how do we deal with COVID and and once we are have a good firm handle on COVID, how do we have systems in place to deal with the next disease, whatever it may be? Yeah. Well, that's terrifying. Thanks for inviting me to hang out with you and get terrified. So um, <laughs> there's hope. I, I know there is. I know there is. But there is a lot to worry about. And, and, and planning on how that's going to impact businesses and our lives is important. So I appreciate these conversations we have. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the business of herbs and botanicals, visit newherbs.com. To keep listening to great episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, or Spotify, and make sure to give us a rating too.